We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 643 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, August 28, 2023. Hope that you had a nice weekend. Did you over the weekend properly celebrate the NFL team of Washington, D.C. going unbeaten in a preseason for the first time since 2013? The Commanders concluded a 3-0 preseason with a 21-19 win over the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field on Saturday evening. You know, I, on Friday's show, episode 642, answered a tweet from a man, Brian, on the NFL preseason mattering. And I said that a good preseason, especially for a young NFL team, can instill confidence in that team. But there is zero consistent correlation between preseason record and regular season record. The 2013 Redskins are a great example of this. The 2013 Skins went 4-0 and in the preseason. The 2013 Skins then went 3-13 and in the regular season, one of the ugliest regular seasons in Washington history. The Skins ended that season on an eight-game losing streak. Uh, the season ended up featuring the complete implosion of the relationship between head coach Mike Shanahan, who ended up getting fired, and quarterback Robert Griffin III. Let us hope <laughs> that the Commanders' 2023 season is nothing like the Skins' 2013 season. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast. Hey, we had the wave being done at FedEx Field on Saturday night. <laughs> that was something. Uh, this was head coach Ron Rivera during his uh, post-game press conference on Saturday night on if going undefeated in the 2023 preseason means anything. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider, Matthew Paris of the Washington Times. Yeah, winning begets winning. I mean, it, it, it creates a good atmosphere, creates a positive vibe, and we're going to grow from it. You know, does it mean we're going to win in the regular season? Don't know, but I hope it does. I hope it's something that we can draw from, something we can relate to, something that can help us as we go forward. I, I really do think that, you know, the tone that's being set right now, I mean, shit, they did the wave. <laughs> I haven't seen the wave here, and, you know, that's the first time. So it was really cool. It really was. I mean, again, there's some energy, there's some excitement, and hopefully we can feed off that, build off of that, and it can help us. Your pro wave then. I'm sorry? Your pro wave then. You like the wave? Oh, yeah. Shoot, that was awesome. I mean, it was cool. I mean, I was, I, like I said, it was it was exciting. I mean, there, there's an energy, there's a vibe that we, we, we're trying to connect with. And if we can do that, I think it'll help us going forward. All right. So, Rod Rivera is pro-wave. Uh, next segment, I'll give you my thoughts on what mattered from the Commander's preseason-ending win over the Bengals, uh, especially with cut-down day on Tuesday. Should Jake Fromm be the commander's QB2 instead of Jacoby Brissett. Is undrafted rookie receiver Mitchell Tinsley now a lock to make the commander's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season? And is undrafted rookie receiver Kazmir Allen now on the outside looking in? I do believe that we now have some more clarity on the team's 
offensive line situation. I'll get into that and much more, including plenty more from Rod Rivera on Saturday night. By the way, did you hear team president Jason Wright on the telecast of the game? Uh, Jason, while in the booth with Chick Hernandez and Brian Mitchell on NBC4, said the following of the ownership change from Dan and Tanya Snyder to the Josh Harris group. Quote, we're back. We're back. It's night and day in the business and what you see on the field. And more importantly, the fans, they are back together and unified once again. End quote. Uh, Boy, Jason, old J-Dub, not holding back. Uh, And of course, he's not wrong. There it is. Yeah, Jason, (laughs) there it is. Uh, Also on the show, uh, I will discuss the weekends that were for the Nationals and Orioles. Uh, Each team won two or three games against an expansion team from the 1993 season, with the two wins coming on Friday and Saturday. Uh, How about those parallels? So the Nats over the weekend won two or three games at the Miami Marlins. Thanks in large part to excellent starting pitching. The Nats, the rebuilding Nats, uh, they in the National League standings for the 2023 regular season are tied with the ultra expensive San Diego Padres at 61 and 70 and are a game ahead of the ultra expensive New York Mets who are 60 and 71. The O's over the weekend won two or three games against the National League worst Colorado Rockies at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But the big news with the O's from the weekend is awful news. Ace reliever Felix Batista may be done for the season. The O's on late Saturday afternoon announced that they had placed Batista on the 15-day entered list with a right UCL injury. Uh, We'll react to that and much more later in the show. Uh, And I will talk Navy football as the 2023 college football season has begun, although it did not begin in a good way for the midshipmen, a 42-3 loss to number 13 Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland on Saturday afternoon. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Darrell in New York City, but originally from Northwest DC, writes Darrell regarding Commander's Managing Partner Josh Harris and FedEx Field. Wanted to get your take on this. In his introductory press conference at FedEx Field and in subsequent interviews, Josh Harris talked about wanting to improve the fan experience at FedEx Field. Better food, making the stadium feel like home for its guests, a.k.a. the fans, updating certain aspects, etc. Harris has spoken of already giving some things a facelift, like upgrading the seats and improving the speaker systems, and have also seen Commander's Beat reporters on Twitter talking up the improved sound system and video board displays. While watching the game last Monday night, I even heard a new PA announcer who seemed more lively and into the action. Curious to get your take on this. Aside from a new stadium, what else could be done in the interim to improve the fan experience? Last time I was at a game was last year's Week 5 loss to Tennessee via an interception at the goal line, but it was hard for me to truly gauge what the fan experience was like because I was there as media and in a truck and not in the stands as a spectator. Keep up the great work and look forward to Week 1. Thank you very much for that. Darrell, uh, I think that there are two things, generally speaking, that would greatly enhance the fan experience at FedEx Field beyond what already has been done. And you can put these two things in whatever order that you want. Number one, a thorough, meticulous, ultra-detail-oriented examination and fixing of all of the minor nuisance things wrong at the stadium. In other words, the sinks that don't work, uh, any television monitors that don't work, any light bulbs that are out, you know, I know some of this may sound trivial, but anything that is minor but is noticeable, anything that upon immediate glance or use strikes the fan slash customer as, oh, this isn't working, or oh, that looks bad. Address those things. Each one of these things on its own isn't that big of a deal, but these things do add up. Uh, Number two, 
the pregame and postgame traffic. This has been an issue with FedEx Field for years. Some of this is unavoidable. Like when you have tens of thousands of people going to the same place and then leaving that place, there is going to be traffic. But anything that can be done to improve the traffic situation, including attendants at the stadium who know exactly what's going on and can do great jobs of directing people, will help. Uh, Those are two things that immediately come to my mind as how the experience at FedEx Field can be upgraded right now. Uh, Email from Matthias uh, on my weekend, which included the annual Goldie Kids birthday party. Uh, My son just turned six. My daughter just turned three, and their birthdays are three days apart. So we have been doing an annual joint birthday extravaganza. Uh, And also, Matthias uh, addresses the big Nats news from last Thursday afternoon that starting pitcher Steven Strasburg reportedly is retiring. Writes Matthias, hope you had a great weekend. How do you not at least enter into the conversation about the goats of procreation for nailing two birthdays within three days of each other, that's got to be your best work. As for Steven Strasburg, he, for me, was our first true superstar who was our own. I was at the first home opener for the Nats, but the electricity of Strasmus was when it felt okay to really fall in love with baseball in D.C. again. To have that bookend with his absolutely magical adjustment after the first inning against the ahem, cheating Astros, uh, getting him in Game 6 is an all-timer. He and Walt Johnson are our all-time greats and both as champions. Not too shabby at all. Uh, Thank you for the email, Matias. The best pitcher in Washington, D.C. baseball history is Walter Johnson. Of that, there is no doubt. Uh, The best pitcher for the Nats since the franchise moved to D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason is Max Scherzer. Of that, there is no doubt. But the most clutch pitcher for the Nats since the franchise moved to D.C. is Steven Strasburg, 2019 World Series MVP, an outstanding postseason resume. Strasburg in his playoff career, nine games, including eight starts, 55 into third innings, an ERA of 146, a whip of 0.94, 71 strikeouts versus eight walks. In the biggest, most important games for the Nats, Steven Strasburg delivered. And that, to me, is his legacy more than anything else. It's not the only part of his legacy, but that, to me, is the biggest aspect of his legacy. Uh, But as for me, uh, trust me, I am not the goat of procreation. I leave that to uh, Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or Nick Cannon or Antonio Cromartie or any of the other people who we've talked about uh, in this discussion. The two birthdays within three days of each other was not by design. It's kind of like the uh, touchdown pass from Taylor Heineke to Curtis Samuel in the commander's loss to the Minnesota Vikings at FedEx Field last season. I'm sure you remember this play. Third quarter, quarterback Taylor Heineke, a second and seven, 49-yard shotgun play-action touchdown bomb to receiver Curtis Samuel, who incredibly caught the ball while between three Vikings defenders, uh, one of whom, safety Cameron Bynum, crashed into the back judge, Steve Patrick. That's not something that you plan on happening, okay? It just happens. Uh, That's kind of like the two birthdays within three days of each other. That play really was something, wasn't it? A spectacular combination of uh, skill and luck. And maybe the ultimate example of what I called the Taylor Heineke magic with Washington, the Taylor Heineke Kavorka with Washington. Uh, Well, the law firm of Paulson and Nace is not about magic or luck or Kavorka. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but Paulson and Nace is about highly skilled, highly effective, and highly compassionate legal representation. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. Paulson and Nace will fight for you and your family in a way that no other law firm will. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk, do not back down in the face of 
of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Uh, Chris Nace in May was named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. And Chris in July was elected as the parliamentarian of the American Association for Justice. Why? Well, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more then the offers benefit the clients. Uh, This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call Paulson and Nace at 202 902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. So the NFL's 2023 preseason is complete. Uh, Next, we have cut-down day, which is on Tuesday. Uh, It is by Tuesday, August 29th at 4 p.m. Eastern, that each NFL team must cut its active roster to no more than 53 players. And then the next day, Wednesday, August 30th, each NFL team can assemble a practice squad of up to 16 players. I am not going to engage in a uh, full-fledged breakdown of of the Commanders' preseason ending at 21-19 win over the Cincinnati Bengals at FedEx Field on Saturday evening. Uh, The Commanders, as expected, did not play a number of key players in this game. The team about an hour and a half prior to the start of the game announced a number of players who would not be playing in the game. Those players, quarterback Sam Howell, Receivers Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, and Curtis Samuel. Tight end Logan Thomas. Running backs Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson. Offensive tackles Charles Leno Jr. and Andrew Wiley. Interior defensive linemen Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and Fedarian Mathis. Edge defenders Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Corners Benjamin St. Juice, Emmanuel Forbes, Kendall Fuller, and Danny Johnson. Safeties Cameron Curl, Derek Forrest, and Percy Butler. And linebackers Jamin Davis and Cody Barton. Now, some of these guys are dealing with slash coming off injury. Uh, Logan Thomas, Chase Young, Fedarian Mathis, Danny Johnson. Interesting, though, that Percy Butler did not play. As far as we know, he's not injured, and so him being held out of this game would seem to be yet another sign that the team views him as a really key player for the upcoming regular season. The Commanders took Butler in the fourth round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Louisiana. He is very athletic. Uh, Butler at the 20 2022 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4-3-6-40. The notable Commanders players who did play on Saturday evening included quarterback Jacoby Brissett, receiver Deami Brown, tight ends Cole Turner and John Bates, running back Chris Rodriguez Jr., uh, the presumed interior of the first team offensive line, right guard Samuel Cosme, center Nick Gates, and left guard Sadiq Charles, and defensive back Quan Martin. Uh, The team pretty clearly wanted to get Jacoby Brissett some work, so that would be why the likes of Deami Brown and Cole Turner and John Bates and the presumed interior of the first team offensive line all played. I say presumed because it's not official that Sadiq Charles is the starting left guard, although that certainly seems to be the direction in which head coach Ron Rivera and assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy are leaning. Uh, Jacoby Brissett on Saturday evening played a decent amount. He played on 39% of the commander's offensive snaps, more than what Cosme Gates and Charles played for. Uh, Each of those guys played on 20% of the commander's offensive snaps. Jacoby went 10 of 15 for 96 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. He took one sack. He displayed really good footwork on the touchdown pass, a second quarter, first and 10, 39-yard under center play action touchdown pass to receiver Mitchell Tinsley uh, as uh, Jacoby deftly maneuvered within the pocket to escape pressure and then made the throw while running to his right, although Tinsley was wide open. But You know, if you're asking me which of the commander's two backup quarterbacks, Jacoby Brissett or Jake Fromm, had the better 2023 preseason, the answer is Jake. Now, I do not think that that should mean that Jake's the QB2 and Jacoby's the QB3. No, Jacoby should be 
the QB2. He has a body of work in the NFL that is a lot more significant than Jake's, but Jake has gotten better. Uh, Jake Fromm on Saturday evening played on 61% of the commander's offensive snaps. He went 13 of 18 for 144 yards, two touchdowns and no interceptions, took two sacks. Fromm in the commander's previous preseason game, the 29-28 win over the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field last Monday night was good. Uh, 10 of 16 for 91 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions, took one sack. He, for the game, was the highest graded commander's offensive player for pro football focus with an overall grade of 83.4. Uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Jake Fromm was taken by the Buffalo Bills in the fifth round of the 2020 NFL Draft out of Georgia. Uh, he was a very good quarterback for Georgia, 2017 through 2019. He has spent time with the Bills, the New York Giants, uh, and the Commanders. They initially signed from last October 18th, signed him to their practice squad. Remember, Washington faced from in its finale for the 2021 season, the uh, 22-7 win at the New York Giants on January 9th, 2022. From in that game was not good, uh, although, of course, the Giants at the time were a mess. Uh, that was the last game for Joe Judge as Giants head coach. But Jake Fromm, over three games in the 2021 regular season, registered a total QBR per ESPN of just 18.8. That is brutal. QBR, like the PFF grades, is on a scale of 0 to 100. For comparison's sake, Jacoby Brissett for the 2022 regular season finished number eight among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in total QBR at 60. So you're not going to hear me do the thing of making the case for Jake Fromm to be ahead of Jacoby Brissett on the commander's depth chart, uh, at least not right now. But I did think that Jake had a nice preseason and maybe the commanders do have something in him. Uh, You know, Jacoby is on a one-year $8 million contract to which the team signed him as an unrestricted free agent this past March. He may be one and done here. Maybe Fromm can be a long-term QB2 for the commanders. Who knows? Uh, I would think that the commanders can get from through waivers and thus will cut him in the cut down to 53, sign him to the practice squad and go with just two quarterbacks on the 53-man roster. But we'll see if the team doesn't cut from in the cut down to 53. That is a significant endorsement of Jake uh, by the organization. The team, though, absolutely needs three quarterbacks, either two on the active roster and one on the practice squad or three on the active roster. Keep in mind that Washington has started at least three different quarterbacks in each of the last five regular seasons, 2018 through 2022. This was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Saturday night. I'm Jake Fromm, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC4. I, I think Jake has, has, has shown himself to be a to be a worthy guy. I mean, he's done a nice job for us. Um, you know, we, we, we know he's got a terrific background, you know, um, having having played at, you know, at an SEC school and then being with Buffalo and, you know, been with us for the last couple of years. And he, he's been a guy that's been, you know, good in our quarterback room as well. Does the, three more, does the craziness of previous quarterback situations while you've been here enter your mind on cut day going two or three there? Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, it really does. I mean, it's, it's a huge part of every conversation we have to have, um, you know, because you, you most certainly are hoping you, we have it right. First and foremost, and you know we've been working to try and get it right for the last few years. Um, you know this is this is a year that we you know we feel pretty comfortable with. Um, but again, you know we, we 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 you know we played three preseason games. Now we start you know we start the uh, the regular season uh, a couple weeks from now. So we're pretty excited about it. Notable that Rod Rivera acknowledged that Washington having started at least three different quarterbacks in each of the last five regular seasons does enter into his mind regarding cutdown day. As for the performances by Commanders players that most mattered on Saturday evening, uh, those performances were the ones of two undrafted rookie receivers, Mitchell Tinsley and Casimir Allen. Tinsley, the undrafted rookie out of Penn State, Allen, the undrafted rookie out of UCLA. Uh, The stock of Tinsley shot up. The stock of Allen went down. And so when it comes to what has been a popular topic, who will make up the final receivers who make the commander's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season? You got to wonder if Tinsley now is in 
and Allen now is out. Tinsley on Saturday evening had three receptions for 89 yards and a touchdown on four targets in playing on 46% of the commander's offensive snaps. Allen on Saturday evening had no receptions on two targets in playing on 23% of the commander's offensive snaps with each target resulting in a drop and the two targets that resulted in drops came on back-to-back snaps and he had a muff catch of a punt for a fumble that he did recover. Uh, The 39-yard touchdown reception by Tinsley in the second quarter, yes, uh, that did come by him being wide open, but also on the play was him spinning through an attempted tackle and route to the end zone. And then in the third quarter, Jake Fromm had a second and one 37-yard shotgun play action completion to Tinsley down the left sideline as Tinsley had his man beat and was open. If you remember the Commanders' preseason opening, 17-15 win at the Cleveland Browns on August 11th, Tinsley in that game, one reception for 26 yards on one target in playing on 23% of the Commanders' offensive snaps. He in the fourth quarter on a second and 24 for the Commanders at the Browns' 48, made a nice leaping catch on a 26-yard shotgun completion by Jake Fromm. Tinsley for that game was the second highest graded commander's offensive player for pro football focus with an overall grade of 76.3. We know the four givens at receiver for the commander's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season. Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, Curtis Samuel, and Deami Brown. You would think that the roster will have six or seven receivers. I think that Mitchell Tinsley and Byron Pringle are making the 53-man roster. I actually think that Dax Milne has a decent shot of being back on the team's 53-man roster. He is considered a reliable receiver as much as I'm sure a lot of you listening (laughs) don't want Dax back on the 53-man roster. Kazmir Allen would now seem to be on the outside looking in. If so, Uh, I think that the team absolutely would want him on the practice squad. He is a talented guy. He is a gifted guy. Uh, Keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of players who get cut in cut downs to 53 do clear waivers. Every year we get nervous about this guy or that guy potentially getting claimed by another team. And that every year, overwhelmingly, the guys who get cut by Washington clear waivers. Uh, Kazmir Allen has talent, but he's raw. And the two drops and the muff catch of a punt on Saturday evening were rough. Uh, A second quarter commander's offensive drive featured back to back snaps on which Allen had dropped. Second and two for the Commanders at their 45. Allen had a drop and going across the middle on a Jake from shotgun play action and completion. Third and two for the Commanders at their 45. Allen had a drop on a Jake from shotgun in completion. And then the muffed catch of a punt. Allen, while at the Commanders 10 to catch the punt, dropped the ball. Uh, there was a massive pileup. It ultimately was determined uh, that Allen had recovered the fumble at the Commander's Six. This was Ron Rivera during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on if he's still confident in Casimir Allen on punt returns. I'm still confident in him. You know, again, when you take a look at it, what he did was he took his eyes off at the last second just to see where it was. You know, he, was, he, he knew he was backed up. And he wanted to take a quick glance. You can't do that. Once you get, once you focus on the ball, you got to keep your eyes on it. And and he brought him down a little too soon. Yes, he did. Uh, a few other performances from Saturday evening that stood out to me. The player who played on the most offensive snaps for the Commanders in the game was Ricky Stromberg. Uh, he played on eighty percent of the commander's offensive snaps. Ron Rivera, during his pre-practice press conference last Wednesday afternoon, got asked about the left guard competition, Sadiq Charles versus Chris Paul. Praised both guys, but Ron very early in his answer brought up Ricky Stromberg, a center who the team took in the third round of the 2023 NFL Draft out of Arkansas who has been working at guard a good bit lately. Then Ron, during a pre-practice press conference last Thursday morning, again talked up Stromberg, uh, brought him up when asked about the position groups that Ron would be most focused on in this game against the Bengals. Will the commanders on their initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season keep 9 or 10 offensive linemen? And does the position flex (laughs) being demonstrated by Stromberg allow for the team to only keep nine offensive linemen. There has been a thinking that the team might cut center Tyler Larson. Personally, I would not be in a hurry to do that, not with Nick Gates's injury history, but you go through the offensive linemen. Charles Leno Jr., Andrew Wiley, Cornelius Lucas, Samuel Cosme, Sadiq Charles, Chris Paul, and Nick Gates would all seem to be given. So those are seven guys right there. Ricky Stromberg, Tyler Larson, and tackle slash guard Braden Daniels are the other three names that stand out the most. Are those guys vying for two or three 
spots. Uh, Braden Daniels is the guy who the commanders took in the fourth round of the 2023 draft out of Utah. I do not see the commanders cutting a third round pick in Stromberg or a fourth round pick in Daniels. So yeah, Larson could be in some trouble. Again, though, I would not be in a hurry to cut him. I would try to keep 10 offensive linemen. Tyler Larson began the 2022 regular season on the reserve slash physically unable to perform list due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field on December 12, 2021. Uh, He, in the 2022 regular season, made eight starts, did end up uh, on the reserve injured list uh, on which he was placed on December 12, 2022, due to a right knee injury that he suffered in the tie at the New York Giants in week 13. But the commanders over Larson's eight starts in the 2022 regular season went 6-1-1. One, and one. Uh, Running back does seem set with Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and Chris Rodriguez Jr. as the top three backs. Uh, Rodriguez on Saturday evening, seven carries for 52 yards and playing on 31% of the commander's offensive snaps. Chris Rodriguez Jr. over three games in the 2023 preseason, 17 carries for 122 yards, 7.18 yards per carry, although he in the win over the Ravens did have a lost fumble. Uh, But the commanders do have three other intriguing backs in Jonathan Williams, Jarrett Pat. Patterson and Derek Gore. Uh, Patterson on Saturday evening had a good game, eight carries for 51 yards and playing on 23% of the commander's offensive snaps. The shades of the great 2021 preseason uh, that Patterson had for Washington. And this guy, Derek Gore, on Saturday evening was impressive. Six carries for 28 yards, three receptions for 23 yards on three targets. He played on 25% of the commander's offensive snaps. The commanders on July 31st announced the signing of Gore as an unrestricted free agent. He came into the NFL in 2019 as an undrafted free agent out of Louisiana Monroe. He transferred there from Alabama. Uh, Gore spent time in the 2019 season on the Redskins practice squad. He also spent time with the Los Angeles Chargers and New Orleans Saints, but his only actual NFL regular season action came in the 2021 season, and that action came with the Kansas City Chiefs. So Derek Gore is a member of the Command Chiefs uh, with the Chiefs offensive coordinator for the last five seasons, of course, having been Eric Bieniemy, Williams, Patterson, and Gore would all be candidates for the practice squad. Although something to keep in mind is this. Williams is a factor on special teams. He, in the 2022 regular season, played on 37.1% of the commander's special team snaps. Uh, Jarrett Patterson played on just a 2.4% of the commander's special team snaps. This was Rod Rivera during his post-game press conference on Saturday night on a, if he feels like the caliber of players who'll be cutting on cutdown day is higher than that of his first three years as Washington head coach. I think it's a, it is a little bit of a sign of the roster build. Um, you know, we, we, we do feel that th- this is going to be one of the toughest conversations we have, especially when it gets down to the, to the depth. I mean, you know, if, if we keep, you know, nine or 10 offensive linemen, you know, whoever seven, eight, nine, ten are going to be, is, I mean, we're, we're, there's a huge conversation that's going to go on. There really is. Um, and it's going to be true for every position. Those last couple, there's a lot of good young players. I mean, it's, it's funny because if you go through our roster and look at the age and where everybody is, you know, we feel like we're in a really good spot. And hopefully, you know, these guys mature and continue to grow and get, and get better and better as a football team for us. One more thing on the Commanders now concluded 2023 preseason. Do you know that Sam Howell ended up leading all QB1s in dropbacks in the 2023 preseason. 44 dropbacks. Uh, The next highest total was 37, which was by the Green Bay Packers' new QB1, Jordan Love. The commanders over their first two preseason games, especially the win over the Ravens, did a very good job of getting Sam and the first-team offense work in terms of passing. I did like that a lot. Now, (laughs) that work did include Terry McLaurin suffering an injury to his right big toe, so there was a cost Uh, to that work. I get that. But I do like that Sam got this work, what ended up being good work uh, in the preseason. Well, hopefully Sam Howell will do for the commanders what turf center lawns can do for your lawn. If you have a bad lawn, no worries. Turf center lawns can change that. Turf Center Lawns offers a variety of residential and commercial landscaping services. It is a local, multi-generational family business serving Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. 
Terp Center Lawns offers lawn care programs that will make and keep your lawn lush and green. But Terp Center Lawns is about more than just lawns. Uh, Terp Center Lawns is outstanding at handling water problems. Uh, Intense summer storms can cause water and drainage problems for your home or business. Terp Center Lawns offers affordable and effective grading-based drainage solutions to prevent flooding erosion, wet basements, and wet crawl spaces. Uh, Also, if you are a coach, an athletic director, a booster, know that Terp Center Lawns can create, improve, and or maintain athletic fields. Uh, Terp Center Lawns will give you and your team a professional, natural grass athletic field. Uh, And Terp Center Lawns performs maintenance with a specializing in Bermuda grass fields. Uh, Turf Center Lawns, in fact, installed the original Bermuda grass fields at a number of major venues in the area, including the Commander's FedEx Field uh, when it opened as Jack Kent Cook Stadium in 1997. Also, Prince George's County Stadium, home of the Orioles AA affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, and Arthur W. Purdue Stadium, home of the Orioles Low A affiliate, the Delmarva Shorebirds. Uh, Turf Center Lawns also installs and rebuilds baseball and softball infields, batting cages, home putting greens, even bocce courts. If you have landscaping needs, drainage issues, or athletic field needs, contact Turf Center Lawns. Consultations and estimates are free. You have nothing to lose. Call 301-384-9300 or visit turfcenterlawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or turfcenterlawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. Also, know this. When you hire Turf Center Lawns, your satisfaction is guaranteed. The Turf Center Lawns team is comprised of experts in their field. They share a deep commitment to exceeding customer expectations on every job, whether large or small. Call 301-384-9300 or visit TurfCenterLawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or TurfCenterLawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. Well, the Nationals on Sunday afternoon lost a 2-1 loss at the Miami Marlins, denying the Nats what would have been their fourth three-game sweep over the last six weekends. Uh, This loss was just the Nats' fourth loss over the team's last 15 games. We are getting so used to Nats' wins that the losses now stand out uh, as these, like, rare occurrences. Uh, But the Nats are 23-12 over their last 35 games. The Nats have gone from 38-58 to now 61-70 in this 2023 regular season. The Nats now have won five consecutive series and seven of the team's last eight series. If you are a Nats fan, I don't know how you don't really like what we're seeing from this team right now. Friday evening, a 7-4 win at the Marlins. Saturday, a 3-2 win at the Marlins in a game in which the Nats overcame a 2-1 ninth inning deficit. Uh, But then Sunday afternoon, a 2-1 loss uh, to the Marlins, who improved to a remarkable 28-12 and in one-run games in this regular season, uh, in which the Nats are uh, a more normal 21-19 and in one-run games. Uh, the Nats, over the final two games of this series, did not do much hitting. Uh, the 2-1 loss on Sunday afternoon, the Nats scored just one run, totaled just seven hits, worked just two walks, went 0-6 for with runners in scoring position. The 3-2 win on Saturday, the Nats won that game despite totaling just four hits and two walks, and despite going just one for six with runners in scoring position. Heck, the Nats won two or three games at the Marlins despite hitting one home run <laughs> the entire series. Uh, Carter Keeboom, he was the Nats starting third baseman and number five batter in each of the three games in the series. He in a 7-4 win on Friday evening, went one for three with a two-run homer and a hit by pitch, but he then went 0 for four in each of the next two games. But yeah, one home run for the Nats the entire series, and yet the Nats won uh, the series. The Nats for this regular season are 29th out of 30 major league teams in home runs with 119. The Nats' lone run in the 2-1 loss on Sunday afternoon came in the top of the third on a one-out RBI ground out by first baseman Dominic Smith for a 1-0 Nats lead. Uh, only one Nat had more than one hit in the game. Joey Manessis, uh, he is the Nats' starting DH and number three batter, went two for four with two singles. Uh, the Nats had just one extra base hit in the game. Lane Thomas, he is the Nats' starting right fielder and number two batter, went one for four with a double and three strikeouts. Uh, he and that Nats' one-run third had an opposite field double to right field. Uh, the Nats on Sunday afternoon also had a pinch hit 
and by Kbert Ruiz. So Riley Adams ended up being the Nats starting catcher and number seven batter in each of the three games in this series. He now has been the Nats starting catcher for four consecutive games and for five of the Nats last six games. Uh, Kbert is coming off having taken a foul tip off his face mask in the 9-1 loss at the New York Yankees this past Wednesday night. Uh, Riley Adams, who I have advocated for to get more plate appearances, uh, did not have a good series at the Marlins. He over the three games when it combined one for 11 with a single. Kbert Ruiz on Sunday afternoon in the top of the ninth did pinch hit and he had a one-out pinch single into left field. So it was good to see that. Uh, he in the 7-4 win on Friday evening was an at starting DH and number four batter and went two for five with an RBI single and an infield single. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez in his pregame session with reporters on Sunday indicated that Kbert should be back as an at starting catcher on Monday night in game one of a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. So we shall see. The Nats, shortly after their loss on Sunday afternoon, did announce a roster move, announced the optioning of outfielder Blake Rutherford to AAA Rochester. So perhaps another catcher uh, is being brought up uh, to the active roster. We'll see. Uh, Drew Millis, according to my co-host on the Nats Chat podcast, Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com, is making the trip with the Nats to Toronto. Drew Millis is a pretty well-regarded catcher in the Nats minor league system. Uh, a few other offensive notes from the Nats weekend. Uh, C.J. Abrams uh, did have a ho-hum weekend overall. He was a Nats starting shortstop and number one batter in each of the three games. He went a combined two for 12 with two singles, a hit by pitch, and a stolen base. Although Abrams in that 7-4 win on Friday evening basically scored a run on his own. Uh, Abrams in an Nats one run first had a leadoff first pitch single to right field, advanced to second base on a Lane Thomas ground out, stole third base, and then scored on a Joy Medes' one out RBI ground out for a one nothing Nats lead. Just like that, the Nats were up one nothing in that game on Friday evening. I do want to give props to Jake Alou for the big hit that he had in the 3 2 win on Saturday. Alou in that game as the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter went one for two with an RBI single and two walks. Alou in the Nats two run ninth had a game time two-out, full-count RBI single up the middle to tie the game at two. And he, on the next pitch, had an uncontested steal of second base. And then two pitches later was a pass ball that resulted in pinch runner Michael Chavis scoring for a 3-2 Nats lead as the uh, scrappy Nats struck again and scoring on the Alou game tying two-out, full-count RBI single up the middle in the two-run ninth was Jacob Young, who pinch ran for Joy Manessis, who in that Nats two-run ninth drew a hit by pitch. Jacob Young, he on Saturday made his major league regular season debut. The Nats on Saturday afternoon announced that they had selected the contract of outfielder Jacob Young from AAA Rochester. This was off the Nats just four days earlier, uh, the previous Tuesday, August 22nd, having promoted Young from AA Harrisburg to AAA Rochester. And he earlier this season played for High A Wilmington. So Jacob Young this season has played at four levels of the Nationals organization, High A Wilmington, AA Harrisburg, AAA Rochester, and now the major league level. Not too bad. Uh, Young in the 2-1 loss on Sunday afternoon was the Nats starting center fielder and number nine battery went 0 for 3 with a walk. He's an interesting prospect. This season is Young's age 23 season. The Nats took him in the seventh round of the 2021 MLB draft out of Florida, but his stock has been rising. Now, he's not, you know, Dylan Cruz or James Wood in terms of highly regarded Nats outfield prospects, but again, he this season now has played at four levels of the Nats organization, and Young was the Nats 2022 minor league base runner of the year. He was one of just two players in all of minor league baseball in the 2022 season to have at least 50 stolen bases and score at least 100 runs. Uh, the biggest bright spot by far for the Nats in winning two out of three games at the Marlins over the weekend was the starting pitching. The Nats in this series started neither Josiah Gray nor Mackenzie Gore, and yet the Nats starting pitching in this series was excellent. Now, it is worth noting that the Marlins are a bad hitting team. Oh, the Marlins entered Sunday just a 22nd out of 30 major league teams in team-weighted runs created plus for this regular season. But consider what went down with Nats starting pitching in this series. The 2-1 loss at the Marlins 
on Sunday afternoon. Trevor Williams allowed two runs in seven innings. He gave up five hits, a two-run homer, two doubles, and two singles. He issued two walks. He recorded five strikeouts. He threw 104 pitches, 63 strikes versus 41 balls. So Williams in the bottom of the third allowed two runs on a leadoff opposite field single by Luis Arise to left center field, uh, and then a two-run homer by Jorge Soler to left center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 2-1 Marlins lead. The homer was impressive. Would have projected 400 18 feet for StatCast. But still, this was a second consecutive very good outing by Trevor Williams, who was coming off what he did in the Nats 4-3 win over the National League wildcard leading Philadelphia Phillies at uh, Muncie Bank Ballpark at historic Bowman Field in Williamsport, Pennsylvania in the 2023 MLB Little League Classic. Now, two Sunday nights ago, August 20th, Williams in that game had a much-needed good outing in tossing six scoreless innings. He entered that start with an ERA of 632 since the beginning of June. Uh, The 3-2 win at the Marlins on Saturday, yet another good outing for Jake Irvin. Uh, Irvin in that game, one run in six innings. He gave up just four hits, a solo homer, a double, and two singles. He did issue three walks and did record just three strikeouts. He threw 96 pitches, 58 strikes versus 38 balls. Uh, Irvin's only perfect inning was the bottom of the first. He in the bottom of the sixth allowed a run on a one-out first pitch opposite field solo homer by uh, ex-Nat Josh Bell uh, to left field to tie the game at one. Although the projected distance of the homer per stat cast uh, was just 366 feet. But you look at Jake Urban now. The Nats on May 3rd recalled Urban from AAA Rochester. He over his first seven major league regular season starts had an ERA of 587. He then had his turn in the rotation skipped. He worked on some things. He reset himself. And he now, over 13 starts since having his turn in the rotation skipped, has an ERA of 364. Pretty good. Uh, And then in a 7-4 win at the Marlins on Friday evening, Joanna Doan, for a second time in four starts, teased tossing a no-hitter. He tossed six scoreless innings. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. Uh, He issued a hit-by-pitch. He had three strikeouts versus no walks. Doan tossed four and a third perfect innings before issuing a one-out hit-by-pitch of Brian De La Cruz in the bottom of the fifth. Uh, and Adon tossed five and two-thirds hitless innings before giving up a two-out single by Luis Arise to right center field in the bottom of the six. Although what had been initially ruled as a fielding error by shortstop C.J. Abrams in the bottom of the six with one out was changed to a single. So officially, the first hit that Adon allowed was a one-out single by Jazz Chisholm Jr. up the middle in the bottom of the six. But whatever the case, Adon was quite good. So Nats starting pitchers in the team winning two or three games at the Marlins combined to allow just three runs in 19 innings. Outstanding. Uh, as for the Nats bullpen, so Trevor Williams uh, doing as well as he did in the 2-1 loss on Sunday afternoon meant that Davey Martinez only ended up using one reliever in the game, Mason Thompson. Uh, he tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth. Good to see that off what happened with Thompson in the 7-4 win on Friday evening. Thompson in that game was a disaster in the bottom of the seventh. He was charged with four runs and did not record a single out. He faced five batters but got no outs. He gave up a triple, a double, a single, and two infield singles. Thompson gave up a two-run triple by Jesus Sanchez down the right field line to cut the Nats' lead to 6-2, despite Sanchez having been down in the count at 1.02, although uh, the home plate umpire, Brian Onora, called what should have been strike three, ball two. Uh, But Thompson then gave up a first pitch RBI ground rule double off the right center field warning track by Nick Fortes to cut the Nats' lead to 6-3. And Thompson was late to cover first base on an infield single by the Marlins' number nine batter, John Birdie, to the right side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch. Uh, And Davey Martinez then pulled Thompson from the game. So uh, that was not good for Mason Thompson on Friday evening. But, you know, otherwise, the Nats' bullpen in this series was good. Beyond Thompson's outing on Friday evening, Nats' relievers in the series combined to allow just one run in seven innings. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Game one Monday night at 7.07, Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two Tuesday night at 7.07, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And game three Wednesday afternoon at 3.07, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So I, these last two MLB seasons have done a number of uh, positive and uplifting Orioles segments because there have been many positive and uplifting things to talk about with the O's. And the O's over the weekend did win two or three games against the National League worst Colorado Rockies at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. But the Orioles ace reliever, Felix Batista, may now be done for the season. Just awful news. And so it's hard to really revel in anything uh, with the O's right now, given this Felix Batista news. Uh, In terms of the actual game results over the weekend, Friday night, the O's beat the Rockies 5-4 in a game in which the O's overcame a 4-2 six-inning deficit. Saturday night, the O's beat the Rockies 5-4 in a game in which the O's overcame a 2-0 fifth-inning deficit. Uh, But then, Sunday afternoon, the O's lost to the Rockies 4-3. The Tampa Bay Rays over the weekend won two or three games against the New York Yankees. So the O's in this regular season now are 81-49. That is the best record in the American League. Uh, And the O's are two games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. But yeah, Felix Batista. So he and the 5-4 win on Friday night in the top of the ninth faced two batters and got two outs. But he then left the game with what O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference called, quote, some arm discomfort, end quote. And then came the terrible news. The O's on late Saturday afternoon announced that they had placed Batista on the 15-day injured list with a right UCL injury, as in the UCL in his right elbow, as in the ligament on which a pitcher would undergo Tommy John surgery. Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias, in a session with reporters on late Saturday afternoon, said that Batista had, quote, some degree of injury, end quote, to his right UCL, and that it wasn't known whether Batista would pitch again this season. Uh, Here was some of Elias with reporters on late Saturday afternoon. It's something that, um, um, you know, you you, uh, try not to imagine throughout the season just because of the impact that he was having um, and uh, the the dominance uh, that that he was exhibiting. But this is baseball. This is pitching. um, And, you know, we are far from the only team and far from the only AL East team. Um, you know, to face uh, adversity in the form of injury to to star impact players. So, um, you know, the, the the group's gonna the group's gonna rally around itself, and you know, we'll figure out ways um, to do the best that we can for however long his absence is. Um, but it's obviously, I you know, I'm I'm most um, sad for Felix himself because I mean, this was just a dream season that he had, you know, was having, and you know, made the All Star team and the numbers he was putting up. Yeah, as for those numbers, Felix Batista through games on Friday was number 10 
among all American League pitchers, as in starters and relievers, in wins above replacement war for baseball reference for the 2023 regular season at 3.1 and was number one among all qualified American League pitchers in win probability added, WPA per baseball reference for the 2023 regular season at 4.5. Batista was having a Cy Young caliber season as a reliever. And now that season may well be done. And look, if he ends up needing Tommy John surgery, then his 2024 season may well be done. I tell you, I had a suspicion that something was up with Felix Batista, and I'm guessing that I was not alone because the usage of him by Brandon Hyde lately seemingly had become more cautious. Hyde seemingly had become more careful with Batista. And you got the sense that something was up with Batista. And sure enough, something was up. And it turns out that it was something with his right UCL, which is a heck of a something for this guy to have. So all the best to Felix Batista. And hopefully somehow, some way, this doesn't end up being that bad. But it is hard to be optimistic. When you hear about a great pitcher having a problem with his UCL, uh, that's when the warning signs go up. That's when the sirens start sounding. Uh, and you have to wonder if the guy is about to undergo major surgery in Tommy John surgery. You know what's crazy is that the O's lost Felix Batista just as they got back a key reliever. Uh, the O's on Friday afternoon announced that they had reinstated Danny Coulomb from the 15-day injured list, which he had been on since August 10th, retroactive to August 9th due to left biceps tendonitis. Uh, Coulomb in the 5-4 win over the Rockies on Friday night, faced one batter and got the final out of the game. Uh, he relieved Felix Batista and generated a swinging strikeout of pinch hitter Michael Tolia on five pitches. And Coulomb in the 5-4 win over the Rockies on Saturday night in the top of the seventh, faced three batters and got two outs both via strikeout. We on this podcast have talked about how the Orioles' bullpen in recent weeks had become Felix Batista and then everyone else, and you could not trust everyone else. Well, everyone else now needs to emerge. Uh, Danny Coulomb certainly can help. Uh, Yanir Cano hopefully is getting back on track. He in the 5-4 win on Saturday night tossed a perfect top of the ninth for the save. Uh, he in the 4-3 loss on Sunday afternoon in the top of the ninth allowed an unearned run, although Cano did not pitch poorly. He on the first pitch that he threw gave up a leadoff infield single by Hunter Goodman on a chopper on which Gunnar Henderson, who had just moved to shortstop from third base, committed a throwing error in making a spinning and what seemed to me like a way too casual throw. Uh, Cano then recorded three consecutive outs, but the second out was a first pitch RBI ground out on a high chopper by pinch hitter Elias Diaz for a 4-3 Rockies lead. Uh, D.L. Hall now is back at the major league level. The O's uh, late Saturday afternoon announced that they had recalled Hall from AAA Norfolk. Uh, he and the 5-4 win on Saturday night officially tossed a scoreless inning. The O's certainly could use consistency from Shintaro Fujinami and Austin Voth. Uh, Fujinami in the 5-4 win on Friday night tossed two scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Voth in the 4-3 loss on Sunday afternoon tossed two scoreless innings and facing seven batters and getting six outs. When those guys are on, they can be quite good. The question is, when uh, are those guys on? But when they are on, they certainly can be effective. Uh, but look, life without Felix Batista is not going to be easy. I mean, Jacob Webb in the 5-4 win on Saturday night was charged with two runs in a third of an inning. He faced three batters, but got just one out. He began what ended up being a two-run eighth for the Rockies by issuing a nine-pitch walk of Ryan McMahon, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02 and then giving up a first pitch RBI double by Elias Diaz to left field to cut the Orioles' lead to 5-3. You would hate to see Felix Batista being out ruin this great Orioles season. I hope like heck that that doesn't happen, but the possibility does exist. And you think about the O's in October, uh, not having your ace reliever is a big time issue when you are in the MLB postseason. Uh, the O's won two or three games against the Rockies, despite uh, the starting pitching really only being good in one of the three games. Uh, Jack Flaherty, in the 4-3 loss on Sunday afternoon, pitched in a game for the first time in 12 days as he had been dealing with what Brandon Hyde had called general soreness. Uh, Flaherty allowed 
three runs in five and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, a solo homer, two doubles, and four singles. He issued one walk, which was an intentional walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He did throw a lot of strikes, uh, 84 pitches, 58 strikes versus 26 balls. Uh, Also, Cole Irvin in the 5-4 win on Friday night allowed four runs in six innings. He gave up six hits, a two-run homer, a double, and four singles. He also issued a hit by pitch, although he had five strikeouts versus one walk, and he threw a lot of strikes. Irvin does this. No matter the run prevention, it feels like in every outing, Cole Irvin throws a ton of strikes. He, on Friday night, over 85 pitches threw 63 strikes versus just 22 balls. Uh, But Kyle Bradish was good once again. Uh, He and the 5-4 win on Saturday night allowed two runs in six innings with eight strikeouts versus one walk. Bradish gave up six hits, two doubles, and four singles. He threw a lot of strikes, 87 pitches, 59 strikes versus just 28 balls. Uh, Kyle Bradish continues to roll. He, for this regular season, is number six among all qualified pitchers in the majors in ERA at 3.03. Uh, also, the O's won two or three games against the Rockies, despite the hitting uh, not being so good. The O's, over the three games, went just two for 15 with runners in scoring position. Also, the O's totaled just 11 hits over the final two games. I do, though, want to highlight uh, two Ryans, uh, Ryan O'Hearn and Ryan Mountcastle. So, Ryan O'Hearn, in the 4-3 loss on Sunday afternoon, had a big pinch hit home run. He, in the bottom of the eighth, had a game-time one-out first pitch, a two-run homer to right field to tie the game at three. The homer winner projected 406 feet per stat cast. What a season O'Hearn is having. He, in this regular season, over 263 plate appearances, has a slugging percentage of 506, tremendous production as a part-time player. And Ryan Mountcastle, had a good series, continuing a great month. Mountcastle was the Orioles' starting first baseman in each of the three games. He, over the three games, would have combined five for 10 with a homer, a double, three singles, and a walk. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle now has the following slash line for this month of August, a batting average of 375, an on-base percentage of 456, a slugging percentage of 580. Outstanding. Next up for the O's, a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Monday night at 7.05, Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.05, Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 1.05, Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. All right, so the 2023 college football season has begun. Uh, This past weekend was what is known as week zero because not that many FBS teams played. And so this coming weekend, Labor Day weekend, is the true week one because that's when the season truly gets going. Uh, This Thursday through next Monday is filled with college football games. But among the FBS teams that did play this past Saturday was Navy, Uh, although its game (laughs) ended up being more like a scrimmage. Uh, Navy began its 2023 season with a 42-3 loss to number 13 Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, the uh, Irish in Ireland were not kind to the midshipmen. Uh, You take a step back with Navy. Navy from 2003 through 2019 had 15 winning seasons in 17 years. A tremendous run for a service academy, but the last three seasons have not gone well. Navy in the 2020 season went just three and seven. Navy in the 2021 season went just four and eight, although 11 of the midshipmen's 12 games that season were against teams that made bowl games, and Navy in the 2022 season went just four and eight. Uh, And then Navy last December 11th announced that Ken Diamatololo was out as Navy head coach after 15 plus seasons. He had been the mids head coach since December 2007, he asked Navy head coach went 109 and 83 and became the winningest head coach in Navy football history. But Navy, in its press release announcing Niamatololo's departure, included this quote, The mids have gone just 11 and 23 over the last three seasons and have had one winning season over the last five years. Navy is a combined 4 and 10 against the other two service academies over the last seven years. End quote. Uh, The press release uh, threw some shade 
on old Kochen. Uh, now, Navy, in this press release announcing that Niamat Tololo was out as head coach, also named defensive coordinator Brian Newberry as interim head coach. And then Navy, on December 19th, announced Newberry as the uh, 40th head football coach in the history of the Naval Academy. Uh, I do still question whether Niamat Tololo should have been fired, but clearly, the last three seasons for Navy did not go well. Uh, Newberry was Navy's defensive coordinator for four seasons, 2019 through 2022. Did a good job. Uh, I'm not going to read too much into the mids getting blown out by Notre Dame in Ireland, uh, but this game did not go well. Uh, Navy's defense got shredded in this game. The mids allowed Notre Dame quarterback and Wake Forest transfer Sam Hartman to go 19-23 for 251 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions, and uh, the mids did not register a single sack. Uh, The mids allowed Notre Dame to score 42 points, an average 7.79 yards per play. The mids tackling in this game was really bad. Newberry, during his post-game press conference, talked about that. And then there was Navy's offense, just three points, an average of just 3.07 yards per play, uh, and just four of 14 on third downs. Uh, Navy's starting quarterback was Ty Lovatai. He went three of six for 43 yards, no touchdowns and no interceptions. Took one sack, which was a bad sack, a sack for a nine-yard loss on a third and five for Navy at its own 11 in the third quarter. Uh, Lovatai officially had 10 carries for just 23 yards. He did leave the game briefly due to a cramp, uh, bringing backup quarterback Xavier Arline into the game. Newberry had talked about playing two quarterbacks. Uh, technically, he did, but the intent pretty clearly was to play Lovatai the entire game. Uh, this was Newberry during his post-game press conference on Saturday evening on why uh, he went with Lovatai as the primary quarterback. Yeah, I think just based on, you know, really the last two weeks of practice and where we thought Ty was and, um, you know, we thought like if, you know, if Ty wasn't playing well and we needed to change, we'd, we'd roll with another quarterback. But uh, I think I think Ty played well. He made good decisions. And, you know, he put us in the right place for the most part. And uh, we just decided to roll with him. And that's fine. But a big issue for Navy these last three seasons has been quarterback play that has not been what we have come to expect from the bids. Uh, they, in running the triple option, have had some great quarterbacks. You think about Ricky Dobbs, you think about Keenan Reynolds, you think about Malcolm Perry. The team has not had anyone along those lines since Perry in the 2019 season. Also for Navy on Saturday afternoon, kicker Evan Warren, one of two on field goals. He missed a late second quarter 36-yard field goal attempt. Not a lot went right for the mids uh, in this game in Ireland. Uh, Navy's next game isn't until Saturday afternoon, September 9th, home to Wagner at 3.30. And that will do it for you and me for now. Get the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 644. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Also talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Monday night at 7.07 of game one of a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. The O's on Thursday night at 7.05 of game one of a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Monday, and we'll talk to you on Tuesday. There it is.